0: All right, everybody, welcome back to Millennial Sales, episode 316. We're kicking off July here with Andy Paul. Uh, You probably know Andy Paul. He spent decades in sales, leadership, enablement roles. Currently, he is the host of the very popular sales enablement podcast and author of his new book, Sell Without Selling Out. Me and Andy had a great conversation about uh, the early days of his sales career, how it's evolved, and, uh, and a lot about the book itself. And, uh, and it's a message that I certainly resonate with around how are you going to be a salesperson while also you know trying to achieve fulfillment and, and be a good person and not get burnt out and all these things that we're talking about here all the time. So really hope you enjoy the convo with Andy. Before that, a quick word from our sponsor. A quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, which is the Up and Up community. It is a community that I just launched with my friend, Anthony Natoli. Um, It is a private sales community that's helping you all get, not only crush your sales goals and your career goals, but also trying to stay fulfilled and mentally healthy and become a better person in the process, which is easier said than done. So if that's interesting to you, head over to patreon.com slash up and up, or hit me up on LinkedIn. My name's Tom Alemo. And uh, the link will be there in my the featured section of my profile, or uh, you could DM me with any questions. All right. Next up here on the Millennial Sales Podcast, we have the man, the myth, the legend, maybe the only <laughs> uh, sales podcaster who's probably done 10 times as many episodes uh, as I have. So I'm, I'm envious. Andy, Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. I I've got to say I'm a little nervous uh, interviewing someone that has done so many interviews on the other side. Usually or oftentimes it's it's people's maybe first or second interview as a sales leader that that comes on here. So uh, someone who's so distinguished, I know I need to be on my A. Yeah, you're,
1: you're looking at my gray hair. Yes. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, <laughs> I'm trying to be a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, well, we've got a lot to talk about, mm-hmm. and um, you know something that that really stood out to me from uh, from you know, checking out your LinkedIn and doing some research was, um, your, your background from school. So getting mm. a degree at, at Stanford from history, mm-hmm. um, and there's quite a big gap between, uh, that degree. And and when I first saw you, you know, with sales as a title on LinkedIn, and, and maybe that's, a an error from LinkedIn side, but I'd love to hear just like the early days of that history degree and, and where that <laughs> led to a sales career.
1: Uh, yeah, I stumbled into sales like many people. I yeah. graduated college with absolutely no plan whatsoever about what I was going to do with my life, and which much to the dismay of my parents, who had just paid for four years of school. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd worked actually at the university after college. I actually had an opportunity to work for the school full time in an administrative role, and didn't really want to do that. But yeah, happened into the career placement center a couple months after graduation and looking at the jobs and mostly seemed to be the big tech companies of the day recruiting for, well, (laughs) sales positions, but they, interestingly, they never called any of them sales. It was, uh, I think even back then they were embarrassed to be recruiting salespeople. So they called them marketing management training programs. Uh, (laughs) And so, yeah, uh, interviewed, got a job with a company called Burroughs at the time, the second largest computer company in the world. And, uh, yeah, it was, the job was to learn how to sell what we called mini computers, even though they filled a room with equipment, uh, yeah. there weren't very many compared to anything we know of, but yeah, going out, to sell for accounting applications, uh, to small and mid-sized businesses and, mm-hmm. It was a real eye-opener because I'd never done anything like that before.
0: Yeah. And they give you a lot of training.
1: Yeah. So after I've been on board for two weeks, and this is actually sort of leads off my a story that leads off my book is yeah, we got sent to at a couple of regional training centers in the country. One was in Pasadena, and I was working in Oakland in the Bay Area. So yeah, I went to Pasadena for a couple of weeks and because there's a lot of watching these video series they had bought from this trainer called Lee the Boy. Um and running through role plays. And I sat there thinking to myself, what human being acts this way? <laughs> I mean, it's Just watching the videos, it's like, yeah, that's not for me. And I came to the realization pretty quickly that I was gonna have to find a way to do the job that I felt comfortable with, as opposed
0: to just sort of following what they had laid out. Cause otherwise it could be a very short career in sales. Was it like cheesy or aggressive, like Jordan Belford stuff, or what was going on? All of the
1: above. I mean, it's just very yeah. salesy. You know, as I talk about my book, it's, it's just the classic sale, seller-centric behavior, you know, persuasion-driven, manipulative, Yeah, you know, hey, your job is just to persuade somebody to buy your product. And when you're so deep into that, and unfortunately it's still the way many salespeople are trained, you don't really think about that buyer, right? I mean, it doesn't right. really matter what they care about or what's most important to them because, hey, my job is to persuade you to buy what I'm selling. And yeah, it just, I looked at that and said, yeah, I just can't do that.
0: Yeah, you saw through it.
1: Yeah, and, and I, yeah, it, it, it was an interesting adjustment period, because you know, the job then, once we got back from the sales training class, was we were put right into a territory, you know, geographic territory. Uh, and we had, to, uh, we had to sell a certain class of product that the company sold to qualify to get trained to sell computers. So there was this sort of five-month period where you're under the gun. You basically had to sell a certain quantity of these desktop adding machines, which were legacy products for this company. And they cost, in the day, they cost 300 to $500 when you could buy a handheld calculator that had just come into the market for about. 60 bucks. So you're had right to you're right to make a lot of calls and yeah. uh yeah, find somebody that would, you know, first of all, watch because we were out in the field with these things under our arms. So these these are the size of small <laughs> microwave ovens, and we we're carrying we'd you know, drive to a business park in the East Bay area and and Hayward or Union City or someplace, and park the car and get out and walk the business park yeah. with my flip chart portfolio under one arm and my sample onto the other and try to give as many demos as
0: we could kind of reminds me of uh how it looks in the movie the pursuit of happiness where will smith is just carrying these like massive machines and someone steals it on the bus and that that whole scene
1: (laughs) yeah i i I didn't have to ride the bus but um yeah i was driving my first car which was this behemoth car from only say how old it was uh that i would inherited from a great aunt to literally drove it to church on Sundays. And that was about it, which hugely embarrassed the branch manager that I was driving this ancient car at the time it was 16 years old. Um, because yeah, back in that day, when you got hired, you were under immediate pressure from your managers to get in debt. See, they wanted Mm. you to get in debt because then you'd have the motivation to sell. So they wanted you to go out and a whole new wardrobe and put it on the credit card. They want you to go out and buy a car. That was the big thing. Go buy a car. Because then if you got these monthly payments coming up, you'll be motivated to go out and make the calls
0: that you have to make. Crazy. But even people that aren't saying that nowadays, are they? I mean, I know that we've we've evolved a lot, I feel like, in the in the sales <laughs> world. Maybe they are, but I, I haven't been. I haven't come across a leader, thank God, that like encouraged me to get into credit card debt.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think it's as obvious today. But I think I think the thoughts are still there on yeah, the part yeah. of many sales managers, right? It's how do we get this person motivated to go out and do what they need to do? And yeah, I didn't need that. And I didn't, yeah, I did not go out and buy a new car. said much to the dismay of my branch manager. Um, yeah. But yeah, they want you to do that. And the new suits are really important as well because we were all back in the day where we all wore dark suits, white shirts, and red power ties.
0: Yeah. What, what was motivating you in the early days of your sales career?
1: Oh, I think <sighs> fear of failure to myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I think that's fine when you're getting started. There's nothing wrong with being concerned about, you know, hey, can I make it? Can I measure up? Um and yeah, I mean, I had many days where I doubted myself <laughs> and I love telling the story is, is, I don't know, sometime in the first month or two, I was just feeling incredibly beat up from going out and making cold calls because we we're making, you know, 30, 40. Sometimes we got lucky and there weren't good getting a high rise. We beat, we beat all the other sellers from our branch to the high rise. We could do cold calls on the high rise, you know, 50, 60 calls a day, right? And you're just knocking on doors. and and. So I was feeling beat up. And so at lunchtime, my favorite pastime to decompress was I'd go out into uh, San Landro, which is South of Oakland, if you remember, and Hmm. there's a place along the jetty in San Landro, which is right at the end of the runway for Oakland international airport and sit there and watch the planes take off and land. I'd grab a sandwich and eat. And after I'd done that a few times, I noticed that it was almost always the same cars that were parked, you know, like 20 cars parked ahead of me along this, this jetty. And so one day, just out of curiosity, I started driving by and looking in the cars. They're all people like me. They're all young people, clearly in their first job, yeah, uh, in their suits, fritzed out by what they were having to do, uh, trying to get a break. And
0: uh, so I thought, yeah, well, at least I'm not alone in this. Yeah. That's so interesting. Well, now the, the equivalent to that nowadays would be, um, I don't know, going somewhere and just like staring at Instagram for 45 minutes. Yeah, I think that's probably, a I probably would have done way. that
1: or TikTok for 45 minutes had I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just something about the rhythmic, you know, takeoff and landing and so on, but yeah, you have those moments. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I people always want to compare generations. It's like, it's a little more difficult doing some of that in person because people are personally telling you get lost yeah. um so you do have to develop you know a little bit of thick skin and that's just part of the job and i just as I had never been in that had that experience before it just took a few months to sort of acclimate myself to um the fact that yeah most of what i was doing day by day
0: wasn't producing results it's it's funny because when people of of uh of your generation talk about cold calls you're talking about going into a business knocking on the door uh and then trying to find your way in there where uh, other people on you know, an sdr and ae might listen to this is like oh he made 30 cold calls in a day that's nothing you were that that's literal you know, knocking on doors, oh, knocking and on doors. trying walking, to get your foot in the door walking literally. indoors yeah, yeah oftentimes doors
1: that That had signs on them that said, no salespeople.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not a salesperson, I'm a marketing assistant manager. (laughs) Yeah. Well,
1: on one of my early, early days, I went on a ride along with a more senior salesperson. And this guy had he he was really smooth and he'd come out, his family had owned a home furnishing business. So he had been selling high-ticket items for most of his life. And so I got a call with him and this again, early days for me, maybe in the first few weeks of, of doing it. And we walk up to the door of, of this one company, a big sign. And it always said, actually never said no salespeople. It always said no salesman, just to, given the generation that we we're in. Mm-hmm. And, and he just plows right through it. I was like, Hey, you know, <laughs> they, they don't want us in there. And he goes in and we, Walk in this reception area and there's receptionist right there. And she looks at him, she says, Can't you read? <laughs> First words are mouth, <laughs> And he said, I can. He says, You know what? But I'm not here to sell anything. I'm here to help your CEO make more money. You think he'd be open to talking to us about that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say?
1: She got the CEO. I mean, yeah. it's it's uh yeah, you know, he had, uh, yeah, just wasn't gonna let that deflect him. And that's a a great lesson for me. Is was, was a, not only how do you talk to people, engage with them and connect with them, but just, yeah, if you're going to be put off by sort of these little barriers that exist. So
0: yeah, you learn to turn a blind out of those. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm curious, like, so the first year you're in sales, you're, you're knocking on all these doors. Uh, sounds like you're, you're, having a tough time early on you're watching the planes every day at lunch (laughs) not every day but Uh, several days yes um uh, are you did you did you face a moment where you considered quitting or considered like maybe this isn't right for me or were you able to just always push past that
1: well i pushed past it obviously but i think i probably had the thoughts multiple times a day in the first few months um yeah what sort of turned it for me is so we had to, we had to uh Sell us at a certain dollar amount of of these calculators. We had a, a broad range of them, and so I think the amount was uh, five thousand dollars worth, which you know today's dollars maybe you know twenty five thousand dollars worth or something, but not a huge number. But it's probably about twenty units or so. And after I would sold my first one, which was a pity sale, I think on the part of the customer, which <laughs> I'm forever grateful. Is I. I don't know, cold calling this company that that they had a little more complex requirements and they were really looking for being able to help with with uh, accounts receivable right and and doing some billing real rudimentary billing and we had this programmable model <laughs> that uh, could probably help them they were a real small company so. I went home one weekend after talking to them and taught myself how to program this machine in hexadecimal, uh, it was just real, basically assembly language and wrote, <laughs> weekend wrote a little accounts program for them uh, as all on stored in these little mag stripe cards, look like credit cards and went back the next week and demoed it to them mm. and they bought it and it was like, wow, 2,500 bucks. That was great. Uh, yeah. that was half my quota. And then yeah. I, I said, huh, well, let's go sell another of those.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Which I did pretty quickly. Uh, I actually helped a company write a payroll routine, calculating paychecks with taxes and everything on this, on this machine. Again, I'd, I'd taken computer programming in, in college, but uh, yeah, I was not a professional coder and yeah, I was coding this, uh, yeah, mission critical application for them on this, this, you know, advanced calculator anyway. Long story short is yeah, I sold another one and then got accelerated through the computer training faster.
0: Yeah, well, it, it to me that that just shows like the scrappiness that you need, right? Of rather than just like you're going out, you're following whatever script they give you. You're oh, just yeah. hoping that you get lucky. I think you you have to find those moments where you just have to go way above and beyond what is expected to push through like that that first or one of the first valleys. Uh, of despair that you have in your first year of sales and if you can get there you prove to yourself you prove to the world that you're you're scrappy enough that you wanted it enough then i feel like it's hard to explain but you just start kind of seeing some sort of an acceleration there and and you get some momentum
1: well you do i, mean, I think i think the lesson there too and again it's what i write about in the book is is i was finding my own way mm-hmm. right i wasn't an extrovert still not i wasn't uh, you know the typical salesperson, actually, again, a story I've told on LinkedIn, and other places before is, is after that first two week sales training class, they recommended that my branch manager fire me. The trainers <laughs> did because they sent back the evaluation and said, you know, Andy's never going to make a good salesperson because he's too analytical. <laughs> and what that time, what they thought salespeople were was just, you know, this classic sort of hunter extrovert men, you know, the, the, uh, notion hasn't really changed much over the decades. but um, yeah, that's what they wanted to be, sort of you know, just short of the sort of used car salesman stereotype. And that was just, again, yeah, that was not me. And so yeah, lessons I was learning early on is, yeah, I can make sales work for me as opposed to the other way around. And yeah, you know, part of it required taking some chances, required a lot of experimentation required, communicating with my boss, my direct manager that, um, yeah, maybe I wasn't going to make as many calls as the other person, but I was going to be more productive with the calls I made, for instance. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I just had a different way of approaching the job. And I, to me, the, the real lesson there was, that's really a lesson for everybody, right? Yeah. is the more, unfortunately in the last sort of 10, 15 years has been this trend to try to make sales more cookie cutter and have everybody sort of become clones of each other. And it's like, it just doesn't work. Right. Uh, it's, it's sort of the, I know the pipe dream for most sales managers is make it easy for them if everybody was sort of compliant to the process, but everybody's different. You know, if there's 5 million salespeople in the world, there are 5 million distinct ways of selling your job as a manager should be able to help people develop that their own personal way of selling that helps them become the best version of themselves. And, I was fortunate to have managers that gave me enough rope to hang myself, I guess, if I, uh, if I didn't do it, but you have to be willing to be accountable. That's part of sales, right? We have to be willing to be accountable for producing results, but I was determined to do it in a way that
0: aligned with who I was, my values, my character and so on. Yeah. We, I mean, I, I talked to so many folks and you know, I've struggled with this too in, in my career of, you know, the, the dichotomy of wanting to succeed and hit your quota and make money or whatever it is that that's motivating you, um, with the concept of, you know, as you, as you talk about in just the, even the title of the book, like selling out or like I mentioned, like selling your soul or there's mm-hmm. a lot of talk nowadays around mental health struggles and not yep. feeling fulfilled and getting drained and burned out and all this stuff. And that's just, it, it's something that I'm, I'm really passionate about too. I'm, I'm just curious, like, was there an inciting incident? It sounds like you've been thinking about this and, and struggling and, and working on this for, for decades now, but was there an inciting incident that was like, man, I really need to go deep into this and, and share my experiences and, and turn this into like a, into a book and a whole thing.
1: Um, well, this is, yeah, this is book three and yeah. 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 I mean, at this point you're reaching your career where yeah, I'm very fortunate in my career, have had a fair amount of success and, and this desire to serve, want to give back mm. and share your experiences with other people's, because in large measure, it's just how I saw the trends going in sales. I said this idea that we had to be more, uh, you know, have to conform to a process, we have to be compliant, and it's, you know, here are these KPIs, we got to hit these KPIs. It's like, really doing? I mean, there's such blind allegiance to you know, activity metrics and other things that that, yeah, to me are counterproductive. It's not that you don't have to have metrics, we all have our own KPIs, but it's like in sales these days, like, okay, just use an example. Oh, you got to make you know, 50 calls today. Sure, what if I could get it done in 20? Yeah. Wouldn't that be better? But so few managers think about that, right? As well, how do we get our whole team to get the same number of conversations, book the same number of meetings, and half the calls right what would that look like if
0: i'm twice and, as good as the next person then i should be able to get it done in
1: half the yeah, amount of calls but it's like, it's like we engineer these processes without really thinking about the end result which is hey finally engineered it for 50 now let's let's engineer it for 25 right what's that sales process have to look like for us in order to get the same number of meetings booked and half the calls and it's that type of lack of analysis and insight that in part motivated me. It was say, okay, if the manager is unable to do it, then as sellers, you need to take responsibility for your own career to figure out a way to make that happen, right? To yeah. become this best version of yourself and push back if you have to push back. Cause I pushed back in many instances in my career where people wanted me to do certain things. And I said, yeah, I don't think that's going to work. Let me try this. Hold me accountable for the
0: results. But I think there's a better way to do it. I think that's the key, right? It's not just like blindly pushing back. And I guess in this instance, I'm talking about a, a reasonable request, not one that's sure. like like totally, you know, immoral. But um, right. they 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 want you to do something is kind of like, well, how about you know I'll do 25 calls your way, and how about I do 25 calls my way, and let's just see the results. If if I you know have better results with what the script says, then great, let's let's do that. But if I you know, I'm im starting to have better results with, you know, the tweaks that I'm making. Then I think we can agree, you know, manager that that might be a better route for me. We don't have to have that for everyone, but um, I've certainly done that. I've heard a lot of folks come on the podcast and say similar things where they'll go against the script for an email or a call or, you know, a a demo pitch, whatever it is that just needs to fit their own style better and and are able to actually bring data to that conversation.
1: Yeah. And, and managers have to feel comfortable. And this, I think this is one of the problems is, is, you know, we invest so little in our frontline managers in mm. terms of enabling them and helping them do a better job of coaching the people that work for them, that, that you can see why they sort of get fearful and default to, well, this is what the process is, right? Uh, right. Because the sort of step outside the bounds, that's fear inducing for them. So uh, if we could help our frontline managers, which we need to invest much, much more in them, if we did, then I think, you know, they would feel more well-equipped to be able to support sort of the individual needs of each of their sellers, which in yes. turn, you know, this uh, we string this out, it, it does lead to mental health uh, wellness, let's say, as opposed to the issues that we're seeing with so much depression and anxiety among sellers these days. I mean, it is a, it's a tough profession. There's always going to be anxiety. You're trying to achieve to a certain level, but
0: it doesn't have to be crippling as it is for many people. Yeah. I'm curious on your take on, on that, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about like, you know, finding your own voice, finding your way as an authentic seller based on your skill set. The other side of things that I see is, you know, there's no sales jobs, never over, right. You could always Mm -hmm. make another call. You can always send another email. Mm -hmm. You can get to 300% of goal, 400%, you know, so on. Um, and, And where's like, I think a lot of top performers have the issue of like, trying to find like, where's the off switch? Because the your manager or VP is very unlikely to say, hey, Andy, you've had a great quarter. Why don't you just sit this out <laughs> the last easy. two weeks and yeah. take it easy, man. You, you're, you're 200% the goal, you know, go go take a break. Um, You know, you, you have to own your own um kind of mentality and, and own your own schedule in that way. So I'm just curious, like, how do you see that for, for people that need to find a way to like set boundaries, I guess, between you know, where they are in, in, on the work side and like needing to find time to recharge in different ways.
1: It's harder these days, right? Because yeah, it's always there in front of you. Um, you know, I think I was part of the first generation that actually <laughs> took our work home with computers. Um, yeah. So it is, it is harder. I think the thing that's interesting in sales is, is yeah, I think if you're working in, sort of, you know, complex in a complex sales environment. My feeling was, and I, my own experience was, is that, yeah, I was, you know, I went and took vacations and, you know, separated from the work, but I found that even on vacations, I was always sort of, part of me was sort of ruminating about the deal. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's sort of this idle or moments of idle thought that actually produce creativity and, and brain you know, insights and brainstorms. And I think people talk about innovation, creativity, you know, talk about that as well. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with with just, are you doing something that you find fulfilling and interesting? You know, to me, that was always sort of the key, is what drove me in my career in the various chapters, and I've had, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 distinct chapters in my career, was what was I doing that was interesting, or who was I working for that was that was going to teach me something that I didn't know before that I was going to learn from and grow from? And those are things I I sought out, and I found that if I was working in those environments, then for me it was the keeping the the balance or mentally it was much easier, right? Because yeah. I'm learning something, I'm working on interesting stuff, um, and there were a couple instances. Yeah, I've worked with startups where it's just like this thing can't go out of business fast enough. Um, (laughs) You know, just do a service for the world or, you know, yeah, this was a mistake. This didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to, in terms of how they represented the company and the environment. And I think the thing for sellers to keep in mind is that, that it's about fit, right? I mean, there's lots of people you probably know. I know, uh, some I've worked with that, you know, talk about, Hey, how do you earn seven figures right in sales? Well, you're never going to earn seven figures if you're not in a situation that's the right fit for oh, you. Right. And yeah. it starts there. So it really starts with paying attention to the people, the environment, the people you're going to work for, the type of customers you're going to sell to uh, is, you know, is it something that, you know, you get out of bed in the morning, you, you just want to do more of, right. You're looking forward to the day. All really critical. So Yeah. I mean, I again learned lessons relatively early, but fit was really for me. Was I knew if I found the right fit, then, yeah, I was going to do well.
0: Yeah, I'm curious. uh, You mentioned you know ten or eleven distinct chapters uh, in your career, more or less. How did you know when it was time to turn the page to a new chapter?
1: (sighs) Uh, It was sort of a mix. (laughs) Um, Sometimes it was the marketplace telling me. I mean, gosh, not to date myself unnecessarily, but, you know, I was selling many computers. I was So I sold for about 19, 20 months. I got promoted to management and was running a team of like 13 sellers. And I just remember uh, going to make a call with a closing call with one of my salespeople. Uh, we were drive down to Fremont. There was a, I think it was a tire distributor or something. And... Yeah, you know, we'd bid them something It's about a 60,000, $65,000 system. So like in today's terms, a quarter million dollars
0: type yeah, system. A big deal.
1: And yeah, it was a big deal for the salesperson. I called the, the owner of the company like before He said, yep. Yeah. We're all set. Come on down. Uh, lawyers who looks at contracts are all set. Show up the next morning. And he said, hey guys, I'm so sorry. I know we just mentioned yesterday we're gonna do this, but, um, yeah, we decided to go a different direction. I'm like, uh <laughs> what happened? And he turns around, and looks, points at the credenza behind his desk, and, and there's an apple II, an early Apple II. Didn't even have mm. disk drives yet. <laughs> and he said, uh, or they just had introduced the disk drives. He said, Yeah, we just were at the computer store last night. And they said, This can do everything your sixty thousand dollar computer can do, but it's only two thousand dollars. Well, A, complete bullshit. It couldn't do it. didn't have the applications of software at that time. But the point was, suddenly a you know, light bulb went off in my head. I was like, well, that's not the last time this is going to happen. Mm. Um, and I literally left that meeting and called a friend at Apple and said, do you have any openings? <laughs> um, yeah. And ended up at Apple in the early days, and where actually I was sort of like, I was like the first software evangelist at Apple. I mean, I, I, my job was to go out and get, because uh, this was right after IBM had introduced their personal computer, the IBM PC, and everybody was sort of relegating Apple to just toy status at that point. And so my job was to go out and get software developers to develop business applications for the Apple II and the Apple III. And wow. so I spent, spent two years traversing the country doing that. Uh, that sounds like a cool job it was yeah the net result is we got a ton of people to develop applications we actually we uh, printed this beautiful catalog called apple has the answers um uh, that was just full of you know applications for business to to run on their apple and yeah. it was a start i mean it took a few years still before apple got really accepted in the business but um yeah so that was a lot of fun right that's brand yeah. new I, what do I know about software? What I know about personal computing? Virtually nothing. Um, but it was what an exciting time to be there. It's an exciting environment. Um, tons and tons of really smart people. And yeah, it was always
0: fun. Yeah, it's, it, it kind of feels like a, an odd answer for someone when they're asking about like, where should I go? But one of the first places is, well, go to the best, whatever industry you're, you're going to go to, who who has the best product? You know, who's the fastest growing? Who has the most customers? Who has, you know, in this case, you know, it seemed like a product that was about as good as yours, maybe a little bit, you know, less, but you know, one thirtieth of the price. Um, and obviously we, <laughs> well, we know how, yeah. how things turned out for for Apple. Um but turned out, but that, turned that's out well, true. yeah. But if you if you want to be a a salesperson that, you know, like you mentioned before, can make seven figures, you're probably not gonna do that if you have the fourth best product. In the marketplace yeah. you know um it, it doesn't mean if you're at the best you'll you'll act absolutely you know crush it and exactly and make all that money but you at least put yourself in the position to win
1: well and am fine again for the other part it was just really smart people i yeah, mean totally i've been very fortunate in my career to work at companies with just people are so painfully smart that actually when you then work with a company that doesn't have really smart people in it it's like oh yeah this is not as nearly as challenging or as interesting um so yeah, you know, find interesting work, I, I think, and interesting people to work for. And I think if you do that throughout your career as a salesperson, and it may sometimes may just be by sheer coincidence, um, yeah. you know, that happens, you see something that strikes your eye and online, a news article about a company that raised money or something, go check it out, right? I mean, I, for, I've been working at one startup that uh, imploded on like a Friday, which was nice of them. And um, <laughs> And I went home that night and it was sort of interesting time because my wife and I were, you know, we were young. We just bought our first home like four or five months before I was out of job uh, suddenly. And, and this is a time when the mortgage interest rates on our first home was 13 and percent. Just Jeez. put it in context for people here. Uh, we bought our first home in Palo Alto uh, back in the day. So um, yeah, I picked up. I think it was Fortune magazine, and there was a little blur about this company in Mountain View, you know, just south of in Silicon mm-hmm. Valley. Um, it was revolutionizing the satellite communications industry with really small aperture satellite terminals, sort of the first company to do that. I knew absolutely nothing about satellite communications, but it's just like something about it just sort of struck me as like, well, that's interesting. So I cold called them on Monday got a job with, or got an interview with the VP of sales. Uh, long story there actually turns out he had offered me a job at a different company four years before that, but we'd completely forgotten, but, um, <laughs> but they didn't have any roles in sales. And this was selling to the enterprise, mm-hmm. large systems to the enterprise. And I had no experience in it. So it's another lesson for people is, is I basically took what the time, you know, we'd consider a customer successful
0: mm.
1: just to get into the company.
0: Yeah. Put your um, put your potential ego aside to do that, yep. probably right. I mean,
1: yeah. But I also, again, the guy I was working for <laughs> really smart, lifelong friend now mentor. But uh, yeah, I just thought, yeah, I need to be here, and I'll take a step back. So I was yeah an
0: account manager for six months or so until I got moved into sales. Yeah. Um, something that that's interesting to me is um you mentioned obviously this is your your third book we talked mm-hmm. about your, uh, your podcasting prowess of a thousand something episodes earlier. Um, how did, how did that shift start? I'm sure that's, that's part of one of the chapters or multiple of the chapters, but, but where did that shift go to like being a creator? Um, you know, as, as part of your, your career journey?
1: Well, it, it, uh, started when I'd written my first book, which was about 10 years ago. And I, I wrote a book like a lot of people do as if they're consulting at a consulting company. It was sort of a calling card, right? Yeah. Hey, I'm smart. Here's my book type thing. <laughs> and, but actually sort of developed an audience, which I hadn't really been expecting at that time. And so then I started, started dipping my toe into the water of like, I didn't even, even before I hadn't started blogging or doing any sort of writing. I just popped this book out and everybody looked at me and it's like, you, know, you did this backwards. You're supposed to yeah. blog, build your <laughs> build platform, first. tweet, yeah. and then publish your book. And I said, Well, yeah, so sue me. I did the book first. What do I know? It shows how ignorant I was, right? Yeah. And so it's just, yeah. I had published my second book. I was trying to build the audience. But then, gosh, I don't know, 2015, I went to a conference and I heard this podcaster speak. And I thought, Well, that sounds like a great way to create content on one hand. And in the process, meet a lot of really smart, interesting people.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So that's sort of the motivation is like, ah, great way to create content. And it turned out, yeah, that, that's absolutely the case. Uh, And it is an incredible way. I think as probably your experience is to talk to a lot of really accomplished, smart people have done interesting things. It's been an incredible learning experience, you know, talk to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, I said, really interesting people for the most part. So i yeah, it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm this compulsive learner and have been and yeah. sort of insatiably curious, which sort of led me throughout my career. And this really feeds right into it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to, uh, I'd love to get into some of the learning because, um, I mentioned before we started recording some of my favorite podcasts of yours are with Ralph Barcy, mutual mm-hmm. friend, uh, and the reason I like them is because I feel like at least half of the time, you're just both of you are rattling off different books and podcasts <laughs> and different resources that you've been d- diving into. And uh, I've yet to meet a, a, a book that Ralph Barcy likes that I didn't uh, read and, and also like. So I'd love to get inside your brain a little bit and hear sure. um, from, you know, it, it could be from a sales lens, but it, I'm also just curious, like, you know, genre agnostic, any books that have really made a, a huge impact on you as a, as a person or are you in your career? Yeah, well, it's a
1: broad, broad spectrum of books. I mean, I, I huge advocate that people read outside of sales Yeah, uh, because <laughs> there's a big world out there and a lot of things have an influence on on selling, whether it's you know, psychology or economics or social psychology, Yeah, just read as widely as you can. And so, yeah, I mean, for me, you know, throughout maybe in the earlier parts of my career, I, didn't read a lot of sales books. I listened to like books on tape <laughs> early, little or literally on tape um, yeah. in my car, driving between calls. I mean, it's early days Zig Ziglar and some of these motivational yeah. speakers. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of some of that. But I love Zig stuff a lot, um, but I just, I don't know. Like, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Reader of his consumer history, I love reading about history uh, because I think there's a lot of lessons we can learn from that. Uh, Yeah, liked reading certain general business books just to to get smarter about business Uh, because you know the history degree. I certainly at early part of my career knew nothing about it, so I got in the habit early on, sort of based on advice of my dad, who said after I graduated and got my job, he said subscribe to the Wall Street Journal, Mm. and. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the editorial, but their business news reporting is unparalleled, right? Yeah. And it helped my business education just to be able to scan that literally every morning. The at that time it was just the hard paper, the physical paper. And I sort of started seeing it's like, oh, as I had conversations with buyers, I was pulling in things I knew and had read about what's happening in the business world that you know made it seem like I sort of knew what was going on. Um and that helped. And then, yeah, so just being disciplined about always gathering information is, I think, part of it. And yeah, it can come from lots of different places, whether it's books or yeah, media online. Just be prepared to devote yeah, 20, 30 minutes a day, as I do, to, to reading. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, I, I, you reference Ralph. I, mean, I think Ralph's, Ralph's a great example. I mean, he's been in business for quite a while and he still has that hunger to learn. As do I. I mean, that's, again, doing all these podcast interviews. It's like, yeah, I want to keep on learning. There's every, yeah, I've been in sales for a long, long time. And yeah, I talked to somebody like yourself. I learned something new and I apply it.
0: Yeah. I think um, the business acumen piece is is more overlooked than it should be, especially when you're Mm -hmm. starting your career for a recent college grad or, or nowadays, there's a lot of folks that come into sales from other, Sectors from being teachers or you know whatever it may be, or um, and and I think there's there's a lot to be said about getting that if it's from books or Wall Street Journal or podcasts or whatever it may be. Um, so I'd I'd love to underline that point for sure.
1: Yeah, and the other right, the information has never been more available than it is now. For one, but the other overlooked source of business acumen that I tell people is if you have questions, ask your customers, ask your prospects. Great point. I mean, I I. When I look at the influences on where I learned how to sell, you had a couple mentors. And first of all, sales training did nothing for me. Um, I had a couple mentors. And then it was my customers. You know, if you ask, they'll pretty much tell you how to sell to them. Yeah, you know, if you develop the relationships you need to develop and the connections with people, yeah, they'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll show you where the yellow brick road is to follow. You just
0: have to ask and be curious about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You 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 just have to again put the ego aside, I think, and be willing to ask those questions, right? Or or if someone says that something that you don't understand, I remember when I my first job was selling to marketers and they'd mm-hmm. be throwing out MQLs and SQLs. Right. And I don't know what the hell. Like I, I you know, at some point I I had the confidence, not my first meeting, but um after a few of like just raising my hand, so to speak, and just being like, exactly. Hey, sorry, Andy, do you I'm just not familiar with that term. Do you do you mind, uh, you know, laying that out for me a little bit? And you, you think people are going to think you're an idiot, but they're happy to tell you, you know, and, sure. and you're just gaining little bits of knowledge along the way. Absolutely. I, I, this, is, this is
1: such a critical point is, is, as I got a little more into my career and, and started thinking, it's like, wow. So my first job I was selling into the construction industry it became my, once I was trained to sell computers, I was selling into the construction industry. So I was selling to these CEOs, these founders of these construction companies. Uh, One of the companies was a road construction company. Another one was that drove the piles for foundations for skyscrapers and so on. And And I said, well, okay, why why did these people give me their time? Yeah, I I was 21, 22, 23 years old. I looked like a teenager, absolutely. Looked like a teenager. knew virtually nothing about business. And yet, yeah, I won these good-sized deals and um, you know, I, these people, I said, gave me their time when I knew nothing. It was because I was sincerely interested in learning, right? When I was asking questions, I could tell I wasn't robotically going through a script. I really wanted to know about them and the business and what they were trying to accomplish and how we could help them. And I didn't need to have the answers if I had the questions. And that was, for me, it was such a huge lesson up front was, yeah, more important to have good questions than to have all the answers. And yeah. you know, if I was just in the moment, paying attention, and like I said, really focused on them and not waiting to respond with you know, the latest factoid out of you know, the brochure for our product, then I could engage them in conversations and they would continue to give me more of their time to help learn about them. And yeah, I think for sellers listening to this, it's just to your point, but your story. Yeah. Sometimes you're not going to know the answers. That's okay. It's how you ask the
0: questions. that really makes the difference. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, Andy, I'm going to hit you with a couple rapid fires, let the audience okay. know, know a little bit more about you. Um, so I'm curious, we talked about books, being a continued learner, mm-hmm. everything like that. Curious, anything that you, um, have been diving into recently, whether it's a, a book, a podcast, a blog, anything that you've been uh, you know spending a lot of time on or, or learning from? <laughs> uh,
1: well, a lot of stuff sort of outside of sales. Yeah. I mean, just finish this uh, great first volume of, of what'll be a trilogy about the American revolution by Rick Atkinson, mm. who's uh, wrote a great trilogy about World War II, which I recommend everybody read. I think this one's called The British Are Coming. It quick read eight hundred pages um, mm, solid beach it read. was very it was a beach read actually I read it in Hawaii <laughs> uh last month when we were there fabulous book um God, just so well researched um yeah yeah, really enjoyed that so that's that's probably i've been doing more uh <laughs> trying to devote more time to reading fiction because i you know with my podcast i I commit when an author comes on the show they gonna read their book before they show up and and so I don't know. I probably read hundred plus sales type books a year, roughly. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. I need a break from a lot of that. So, so I've been focusing more on fiction. Um, a great novel. I just read, it's about, I don't know, 15, 16 years old, but it's a great book uh, called the rules of civility written by Amor mm. Towles. Uh, really interesting. So Yeah there's always something I've got going, but it's,
0: uh, yeah, that hasn't been business recently. Yeah. I like it. Um, what goes on in the Andy Paul headphones music wise? Oh gosh, tons of what I'm doing. So if I'm writing, uh, it's
1: jazz piano for the mm-hmm. most part. Um, like yeah. So I've written three books to <laughs> jazz piano background for the most part. Keith Jarrett, one of my favorites, uh, not all jazz piano, Charlie Hayden, who's a was a uh, bassist. bassist. Um, yeah, but just you know, like the rhythm. Um, when I'm not, yeah, it sort of spans the gamut. Doing one of my favorite, actually, I was talking about this with somebody yesterday that asked, this, is uh, really a big fan of this group called the Avid Brothers. I'm familiar mm, with Avid yeah, Brothers?
0: I am. Um, I like them too.
1: Positive seen them, vibes. Seen, seen them in concert half a dozen times now. Um, yeah, last one right before the pandemic, saw so am at the Greek Theater in Berkeley. Mm, um, that's cool. Yeah, actually, it was a great double feature because it was it was uh, double billing because uh, the group that opened for them was my daughter's favorite group, Lake Street Dive. Um, mm. So we got they're on the same bill,
0: so we we joined the forces and went to the Greek Theater. It was great. That's good bonding. Um, yeah. What's something that you do outside of work to recharge? I exercise a lot. So, um, run, bike,
1: uh, yeah, we sort of got off. We used to, my wife and I swim pretty religiously, but we, we, during the pandemic, we sort of fell off that wagon because our pool that we swam at in New York was closed. I think still is, for that matter. But yeah, a lot of exercise. Um, again, pre pandemic, we, my wife and I did a lot of bike trips. So, we had a couple times a year, we'd go on these, uh, Great right, way to see the world on a bicycle. Yeah. We do that. That's fun. We probably started another one this year. So, looking forward
0: to that. Very cool. Very cool. Um, who's one person that you would want to see come on the Millennial Sales Podcast? Oh, gosh. Put you on the spot here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Adam Grant. Whew. Shoot high. Shoot high. I like that. I like that. I I've been he's been on my on my blue whale list or whatever they call it white whale yeah, what do they call mine it mine too uh, for for years he's uh, he's a tough and I've listened to enough of his podcasts where I know that he's intentionally a very uh, challenging person to get a hold of so
1: he is I actually I had a connection through I had a couple of his faculty mates from Wharton on my show and I asked both of them off the air so can you hook me up with Adam. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) That's funny. So Adam,
0: if you're listening, you've got two podcasts. (laughs) podcasts That's right. We need a two hour commitment from you, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, last, uh, rapid fire for you. Um, you've got so many freaking podcast episodes. So if if people aren't familiar and now they want to check you out, they might feel overwhelmed. I know it's like picking kids or something, but where would you, where would you guide them? If they had to tune in, for their first episode, where would you point them? Yeah, hey, I'd just start with a recent episode.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, we get, yeah, a lot of people go back and listen to old episodes. I think once they get started, uh, cause it's a fairly long tail of listens on our shows, but yeah, to start with the recent ones, um, gosh, who would I just have? I had just, uh, Frank Cespedes from Harvard Business School. Uh, he's been on the show a few times. Yeah, listen to that one. He's great, um, gosh, yeah everybody. I mean, it's, we have very few duds. Actually, if we have a dud, I don't know what you, but sort of our our dirty little secret is we don't air the episodes. Yeah,
0: I've had, I've had only a few of those. The worst, uh, I will not name this sales trainer, but he, he had the camera off and was either doing the dishes or putting them away or eating, or it was just clanging of silverware the whole time. It was like, I just, I, I can't really, I can't in good conscience put this out.
1: No, no, I had, I had one that was <laughs> similar, but this is again, sort of height of irony. This is the guy that he wrote a book about focus and productivity. Mm. And the whole time we we're talking, I could hear the tap, tap, tap of his keyboards. <laughs> 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 and I'm like, oh, dude, come on. So actually, I, yeah, I just, I cut it short. I said, it seems like you're busy with something else. Let's just, uh, let's reschedule, which yeah, I didn't. Um, Every yeah, scheduled, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think out of you know what, a thousand sixty episodes, something like that. Now is less than two handfuls of episodes where we've recorded with people that just like, yeah, this isn't going to work out. Um, yeah, and sometimes it's not their fault, and you know, give them a chance to come back on again and do it. But uh yeah, sometimes people are just like, it's like politicians, you know, they're so intent on getting their message across and their sound bite, and it's like. Usually I'm pretty good at controlling it, but sometimes it just can't. And it's hard. Uh, yeah. In which case? Oh well. And the sign is here's the here. Not that your audience really cares about this, but uh, know yeah, the the sign that something was probably you know wrong with this uh, this individual to begin with is they never notice that their episode
0: never airs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they were they weren't looking anyways. Yeah. They weren't looking anyways. They so. don't subscribe. Um, yeah. Well. I can guarantee you that we will be putting this episode out. Okay, so if thanks. that was, uh, if that was in the back of your mind while you were talking, um, no, no, <laughs> so I, no subtext there. <laughs> I, uh, I, Andy, I appreciate you, uh, coming on, being generous with your time. We've, we've, I guess hinted at it, talked a little bit about the new book sell without selling out. We've talked about your podcast mentioned you on, on LinkedIn. You're posting all the time. Great content. So, want to just you. kind of tee you up to, uh, to talk for a minute about where folks can find you on, on all of those different uh, platforms.
1: Yeah. LinkedIn start there uh, to your point. I'm pretty active on it. And um, yeah, that's our primary place where we, we publish new content these days. And yeah, you can buy my book sell without selling out a guide to success on your own terms, Amazon, physical bookstores, you go on your local bookstore, chances are I'll have it. um Yeah. Listen to my podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, wherever you listen to podcasts. And then yeah, if you come to my website, andypaul.com, you can download a free chapter
0: of my book if you want to do that to preview it. Awesome. Andy, I appreciate you coming on, man. This is great. Hey, Tom, thank you. A quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, which is the Up and Up community. It is a community that I just launched with my friend, Anthony Natoli. Um, It is a private sales community that's helping you all get not only crush your sales goals and your career goals, but also trying to stay fulfilled and mentally healthy and become a better person in the process, which is easier said than done. So if that's interesting to you, head over to patreon.com slash up and up, or hit me up on LinkedIn. My name's Tom Alemo, and uh, the link will be there in my the featured section of my profile, or uh, you could DM me with any questions, any questions.